0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next installment of the DSEF's Expert Panels. The questions you've had today is a very exciting topic. This is AI technology in direct sales. Many of you, with the onset of a chat GPT and a gazillion plugins that are now available in this world, are all wondering, what does this mean for our distributors? What does this mean for our corporate team? How does this affect us? And as we were putting together our thoughts from the Direct Selling Executives Forum on how to handle this, went nowhere else than to Chris Shank-Adams that be here with us today. Now, for those of you that don't know Chris, we're going to bring her out here in just a moment. She is a strategic operations into technology leadership for high-volume transaction-based environments, re-engineering expert, and fixer of train wrecks. I love that as a title. I am the fixer of train wrecks, particularly... In direct selling and direct marketing industries. And gang, if you've looked at all at Chris's background, she was uh, with Cabby at just a, an incredible time of transformation. We've had a previous guest on our line with Cheryl Forbes, who was there at that time as well, talking about digital transformation. And so if you enjoyed Cheryl's episode, you're in for a treat today with Chris as well. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. It's such an honor to have you here for the panel.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. This is a great topic. I'm super excited.
0: Well, and for those of you that are new to the DSEF, the DSEF is an exclusive invite only uh, forum for direct selling executives on LinkedIn and Facebook. It, the, and the community is better on LinkedIn, gang. If you want to get involved in the community, the LinkedIn group is the cool one to be in. Um, it's free. Uh, there's no charge here if you're listening on Spotify today to be a part of the group. You just need an invite from one of the members. And so you can apply at DirectSellingExecutivesForum.com or go on LinkedIn and type in direct selling executives forum to apply to join the group. It's, it's not meant for a bunch of vendors and spam and pitches, gangs. This is truly a space that's been created three years ago for direct selling executives to literally just share what's going on and help us all learn together as we navigate this jungle called the marketplace. And with that, I have the honor of introducing our new host for the next season. We had Gail Ansado host our last season. Omar Qureshi is going to be hosting our next season. So Omar's going to be kicking us off with your questions from the panel. Omar, thank you so much for being here today. Let's start the show. Thank you, Ben, and very warm welcome to Chris. Uh, So grateful to have you on
2: today's DSEF podcast. And today we have a very interesting topic, and that is uh, AI technology in direct sales. So my first question is, uh, where do we start? What what steps uh, would you invite a corporate team to take as they prepare to create a framework? How they will use AI in their business?
1: Great question. Thanks for starting with that. But before we dive in, I do have to say that when I was invited to speak on this topic and and thank you for the invite. I'm very excited that it's out of me for this. I made my notes and then I went out to chat GPT and I I ran uh, the question by uh, chat GPT. And I am very pleased to say that uh, my notes and chat GPT lined up pretty well. (laughs) I love that. So I'm feeling good about this. (laughs) The first thing I think everybody needs to think about is data. And nobody's going to be surprised that they said that. The one thing that I always challenge people to think about is flipping how they think about data in their organization and flip it to data as an asset. So once you start thinking about data as an asset, now you can really think about how you collect it, how you store it, how you govern it, who's in charge of it, who's responsible for making sure that it's accurately depicting your business. So all of those things are so important to making sure that your data is where it needs to be. And everything we're going to do with AI is predicated upon how you take care of that asset. And drug selling is traditionally very I don't want to say backward, backwards, not the right word, but it's, uh, they kind of lag behind the modern technology landscape. So a lot of companies do have technical debt with regards to their data, pay attention to your technical debt, clean it up, fund projects, which are, they're super unglamorous and unsexy projects but fund them in order to clean up your technical debt and get yourself prepared for all the things that AI is going to bring into your business. Thinking about AI in the business setting, it can be overwhelming. I mean, it can absolutely overwhelming. So I think when you start to think about your strategy for AI, you've got to really start small, but start now. You can't really sit here and say, that's not going to happen to us for another six years. I'm not going to bother with it. There's incremental baby steps that you want to start taking now, like cleaning up your data and managing your data in a better way. Those are really the most important things. And the other thing to AI into to something that is a little more understandable for your organization, like it means something different to everybody that you have a conversation with. And so what I like to sort of baby step or walk into with an organization on, on the topic of AI is talking to them about the differences between looking at your data in a descriptive way, looking Mm. at your data in a predictive way, and then looking at your data in a prescriptive way. So you kind of think of those three steps in a sequence. That's an important sort of high level concept to help your organization understand sort of their journey into AI. Some
0: of the folks who are on the line, Chris, they may not actually get the difference in what you just said. You know, just as a share, just because it is, to your point, many folks who come to direct sales and network marketing come as a marketer or they come as a, or someone who's a great product inventor. You know, I think a lot of our forum, we we have quite a few product inventors who are in the forum that are listening today. And so when you say like descriptive, predictive, prescriptive, break that down like we're six years old, real quick. Like, what would, would, if I'm a a six year old, how would you explain that to me, real quick? Because that (laughs) that is the key of the question. Like, that is the framework answer that a lot of people are asking. I just want to make sure they get it. And so, if I, what would that be?
1: If you think about descriptive, let's take your database of customers. Descriptive, you go back and look at history and you Mm -hmm. see what happened in history. Describe to me what my data looks like and what it's telling me. Mm-hmm. When you move into that predictive realm, you're using the patterns of the of the past and the patterns and the trends and the life cycles and things that you can identify in your data to predict what's gonna happen next or what could happen next. And then you take it that next level and you say, if these predictions look accurate to me and I agree with these predictions, then what do I prescribe as a result of that? What Mm -hmm. actions do I take as a result of that? And then you can start stepping into, can I automate those actions? I I mean, it's one thing to be able to say, this is what happened in the past. I can see a pattern or a trend. This is what I think is going to happen in the future. But now the real horsepower is, what do I do about that? Can I make the machine do it for me? Or is that something my organization needs to do? Really, you'd like to make the whole thing automated from mm-hmm. end to end. That can really get you some horsepower. But, yeah. but you just really have to start small and start looking at what happened. What does that tell me? What is that? What do I predict is going to happen? And then what can I do with that to provide value?
0: And that cycle, Chris, just unpacked there, gang. You have to hear that. There was a report that this organization that you're on the podcast for, the DSEF, put out in January of this year about viral transfer referral marketing. And it all came down, if you haven't read the report yet, to a decision-making framework for executives. And within that report, we unpacked just the straight truth that Many direct selling executives are only looking at transactional data in their lives. They're not looking at the predictive data. They're not looking at leading indicators. They're not looking at what's creating sales. Maybe 20% of you that are, and the other 80 that aren't, that are here on the line. And, And because you're just looking at sales enrollments and subscriptions and trying to virally grow your company and run that way, you're missing out on all these opportunities to improve over the benchmarks of your peers. So all you're ever going to receive is however well the industry is doing. So COVID hits and direct sales does better because people are now at home. Yay, your benchmarks go up. The averages of the industry go up and you made more money. But now it goes away and people can, now you have more competition. People can work at regular jobs from home or they can do direct sales. And now you're struggling. Oh, well, that's the, that's actually the benchmarks of the industry right now. Hey, there's other competitors for your work from home time for your people. And so if you want to break out of the rat race of experiencing only benchmarks of the industry and the averages of your peers, you need to listen to what Chris just said. She just gave you a framework that's a recipe gang to beat your peers, because here's what that report sell hit the punchline for before we go to the next question. It said that if you can just optimize your sales process by 20% with what Chris just outlined for you, you will double revenue per active rep number. gang. Hear that for a second. And the report went on to say, if you optimize by 40%, you triple your revenue per active rep number. That's over the benchmarks of our industry. So when she gives you a rinse and repeat process of, okay, you look at your history and data helps you know what you should be looking for. The AI helps you know what you should be looking for. You get to the predictive stuff of knowing what the future could look like. And you get to a prescription of let's go change this loop. That's not going to happen one time. Hey, okay, this is going to be a process you're doing often. Okay, this might be something that's- some different might... Yeah. Different
1: too, because you get that little incremental little improvement in this discipline, you get an incremental little improvement in this discipline, et cetera. And then it all rolls up into improving the overall company sales performance.
0: That's perfect.
1: Little incremental bite size. It's not sexy. But it, if you can capture that, it makes a big difference. The
0: double revenue per active rep is sexy, right? That's the end result. Yeah. You've done it all, you know? And so it's, yeah, not, right. it's not fun when you're in it. Like you don't think like, oh yeah, this is going to make all the difference in the world when you're in the soup of it, right? Yeah, That's so good.
1: true,
0: So good. Wonderful. That was a great insight from
2: you, Chris. Right, the se- second question or the next question would be, what pitfalls have you seen over the last mm-hmm. year that you would encourage corporate teams to avoid?
1: There are tons of pitfalls here. The biggest one that I have seen so far, but it seems to be going to extremes, like with AI, the company, the people that you talk to are either saying, not for me, I'm not using it, not interested, we're a relationship business, not going to help me. And they are completely to the left saying, not going to do it. And then you've got the other extremes where we're going to AI our whole business. We're going to do everything from soup to nuts. We're hiring in contractors. They're going to come in and just completely transform this business. So, I think there's a danger doing those two, you know, those two extremes. The other thing that I'm worried about for the industry is there's a lot of players in this space right now because it's such a hot topic. There are all of these vendors and all of these contractors and all of these great products that are talking about AI and what it can do to transform your business, but you have to be careful not to be hooked on the hype and you also have to be careful not to get too sucked in by a cool, slick demo that maybe isn't related to the direct selling industry. And I hate to dismiss anything that doesn't come from outside of the industry, because that's that's not what I'm trying to say. But in this sure. case, there's a lot of so many vendors and so many options that are coming at you with, look at my AI, look at mm-hmm. my AI. There's also good vendors in the space that are saying, you know, we've got stuff we they've been around forever. Field tools that predict what's gonna happen next and prescriptively tell the consultant what to do next. And there's a lot of companies that have been in this space and really understand the nuances of our business. Don't get hooked on the hype. I think and you're do- saying
0: context matters. That's what I'm hearing. Like, like my heart almost sank here to hear what Chris said in the sense that like I've seen some wonderful companies run after an enterprise solution from a different industry thinking. This will be the answer, spend 10, actually one time, a hundred times the amount of investment they would have spent with an industry provider and then had to scrap the thing. Company's name was Avon, by the way. Um, It was a very public implementation. We should just pick one just because it splintered the whole company. So this is, gosh, was that six years ago, Chris? Avon spent a hundred million US dollars. It's on the front page of the Washington uh, or the uh, Wall Street Journal. I was on a trip to Dubai the morning it went out and it was, we're going to let Avon CEO go because she had, had to scrap a $100 million implementation. Yeah. And Yvonne was working with vendors that didn't have the context of our space was a big part of that challenge. And so you want to learn from other people who have made those mistakes. Chris right on. It's not to say you don't adopt new technology, you do, but are we making sure that the technical teams who are implementing for us, the engineers and the vendors and the contractors and everyone else, are we making sure they have the context of what our industry is? Because yeah. context matters. It really does.
1: The other thing, before we jump to the next topic, we also need to remember that AI can be used for good or for evil, right? Right. So, So as much as you're hearing about all the benefits of AI and how it's really contributing to society as a whole, I don't know if anybody else is seeing this, but the fraud, the profile of fraud that is starting to appear is AI based. You've got to be a little bit watchful for how fraud starts to manifest itself using AI. So I don't want to be Debbie Downer on that, but, yeah. but you do keep it in the back of your head. You're going to see it. And the other thing too, it could be a pitfall, not really a pitfall, but something to watch out for is regulatory and compliance. Keep your eye on it. Stay in tune with organizations like DSEF. They can help navigate some of those ongoing landscape changes with compliance and privacy laws and, and things like that.
0: On that wow. note, Chris, I've seen just as something that I have just realized is we have to watch for this. Is that AI is not perfect right now. You'll notice even right now, your inbox at Gmail or wherever you get your mail, right? Outlook is getting flooded with personal yeah. prospecting that it wasn't getting before because mm-hmm. AI is getting smart enough to beat the spam filters and come in. But yeah. you'll notice sometimes that the AI systems that these other salespeople or scammer, whether they're a legitimate company or not, are using to get your attention in your inbox, is they're using yes. the same algorithms in AI. I've had over a dozen, just as an example, in the last month, I've had over a dozen cold prospecting emails to my inbox where the subject line was go Huskies because I went to NIU. And so AI is scraping where I went yeah. to college and trying to get me to open a letter and is people from all kinds of services, whether legitimate or not, trying to earn trust as if they knew me scraping and and doing that today. And you got to know your prospect, like, let's say you say, well, we should use AI prospecting tools. Well, if the AI is not generating unique stuff and your reps are going to all look like they're the same person and they're spam, it won't be a good customer experience. So you wouldn't want your rep to be 12 of your reps. Messaging the same person with the same subject line like that's not going to be a powerful way to connect. So you need to think through some of those things that Chris is talking about as pitfalls, gang. I've experienced that myself. Like if someone sends me an email right now with "Go Huskies," I immediately know it's spam. Like I just mm-hmm. know it's spam because yeah. it is AI reading my LinkedIn profile to to tell them how to reach out to me, and that's what they did. Yeah, we have to be. Have to be a little cautious. There is that what we want
2: to be known for. You thank you for both of your valuable insight. Uh, All right, the next question for Chris uh, would be, if if there was only one new initiative, you thought every company should explore, what
0: would it be? I've to back this one up before you go, Chris, this is too funny. We always have these people in the group who are like, well, we're busy. We don't got time to do nothing. And so if we're gonna do AI, just tell us the one thing we can add to our agenda. Like I always put that caveat in on these podcasts when that question comes in, the one thing question comes from, it's many times said with that attitude in that tone. So what would you say to that guy, gal in the room who, I'm already full for the next two years of my agenda and you want me to squeeze this in. What's the one thing, what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, now that you know who, now, you know, who's asking it. Sorry. I yeah. Just,
1: that's a, like, that's great know. context. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's funny because I was like, you picked just one. There's so many amazing yeah. things that you can do here. Yeah. So here's how I skirted. I'm going to pick one for customer focus. One for field focus and one for internal operations focus. So actually I get three, but there's really one for each area.
0: Perfect. Let's do it.
1: (laughs) I really, I couldn't just pick one. So customer focus. This one's cool. Merchandising, recommendations engine on the customer side. Take every bit of customer data that you can find. It doesn't matter if you think it's relevant or not. It might be grab all that data and use it to promote products in a personalized way to your customers. When I log into, I'll use Cabbie as an example. When I log into the cabby website, it knows who I am. It knows what I've purchased in the past. It knows what I like. It knows everything about me and it can therefore recommend things that are most appropriate or that I'm going to like the most. As a consumer, I appreciate that. Oftentimes I'm overwhelmed by the choices. So narrow it down for me. I don't have to take those choices, but narrow it down for me so I don't. So it's a little more targeted. I think that combined with something like one-click checkout can drive sales right to the bottom line. I think done well, and everybody I think has some opportunity to use that kind of merchandising. But I think done well, that can really be extremely powerful financially. So that's, yeah. that's customers'
0: great. recommendation. Uh, treat, yeah. Treating each person as an individual. So if you want to hear that, gang, that's what Chris is saying. Stop yeah. treating all your customers. You, we no longer live in the world. It's not 1950. We don't have to broadcast one message and treat every customer that they're the same. Okay, it's 2023. So we're shooting this. Uh, we, can, we have enough technology to treat them as an individual. That's Just hear that. Hear the why. In that customers want to be treated as an individual. That's what Chris is alluding to there.
1: Yeah, I think what's interesting about what you just said too is that the landscape does that, right? So everybody else in the marketplace probably Sorry, COVID it. drove us to that, but everybody else has recommendations engines. Direct sales should not ignore that as yeah. a capability that would be work that would work for them. Yeah. So exactly. good point. Good point. Okay the field this one's easy i think everybody's probably seen this but predictive analytics for the field that drives to an action or action oriented activities so if you can install or work with a vendor in the space who are, who's already doing this we won't name any names but there's lots of people out there with predictive tools that look at your data the field makeup look at the activity level of the field And then suggest next steps for that field person to take that will make them more successful. You can drive those tools into field, you really will get the performance return that that you want. And for uh, that
0: one thing, Guy asking the question on what Chris just unpacked, think of it simply as if you're in the party plan space as an example, simply as which person hasn't placed an order and it's been 60 days and the new catalogs out, and simply prompting mm -hmm. someone to say, hey, Joanna. The the new catalog is out, and we have a special running this week. Was curious if you wanted me to put an order in for you. That is as simple as that gets. Or someone went to the website and didn't finish checking out, and you're prompting the person of, "Hey Tammy, wanted to see if you needed any help with your order." Applications can be super deep, of like predictive prospecting, all the way to just order history triggers, gang. Like at the lowest level, if you can only do one thing, please do order history triggers. Who didn't pay that? Or you're not party plan. You're a a regular network marketing MLM company. Who didn't pay their auto ship last month? And it's been 40 days and they're running out of product. And you can tap the rep to say, hey, do you need any help with your order this month? Are you running out of product? Like that type of stuff, gang, is just baby step stuff you can do on the predictive side for your reps. That's just revenue in your pocket. Credit card expires. Their order didn't go through. Come on. Hey, you need help updating your credit card? I noticed your order didn't go through. Like that coming from their sponsor? A lot different customer service teams. So hear what Chris was saying there. There's some, there's some like low hanging, just money, just oozing out of your organizations that you guys just aren't even picking up. There's just dollar bills flowing out and you guys are just letting it <laughs> fall on the ground. Like you're some music video. All right, let's go to Chris's next one.
1: Last one is AI for your internal operations. Yes. Just inventory forecasting. Like everybody has a huge investment in inventory. If you could manage that inventory just 2% tighter, if you're a $50 million inventory on the books, 2% will get you a million dollars back to the bottom line. Just crazy. So if you consider that inventory forecasting uses maybe... 25 different variables from the lead time with the manufacturer, the cost of the manufacturer, you know, where the manufacturer is located, what the inbound freight timing is, what the sales velocity is. There's all these variables that go into forecasting inventory, far too many for a human to be effective at. And I've seen so many direct selling companies where inventory forecasting is on an Excel spreadsheet. Sorry, just... It is what it is. Take some AI and apply it to improve that forecasting process. Don't replace it. You can't replace it, but you can incrementally improve it so that it operates much more efficiently.
0: Chris, you just identified something really important that we should we should go back to. you At the beginning of the call, you talked about descriptive tools in AI. And, yeah. and this is one of those chances that if that just hits you in the heart and you're the one with the Excel spreadsheet and you're listening today and you're like, ah, oh, Chris is outing me. Well, you know what? Before you even get to some cool AI platform that's doing it all for you, you can use AI for analysis. So something we were just talking about last night in our family, my father-in-law used to be head of finance for United Airlines Technology Department. And we were just talking about how we had a whole room of guys staring at data, United for years before the AI, trying to figure out how to run this airline better. And we were talking about how amazing is it today that AI can just look at all those spreadsheets for you and identify opportunities for improvement. That was the descriptive part Chris talked about earlier. So even if You don't have any budget for an AI system. You don't have any time of finding a vendor or doing that work for an an AI inventory platform. And you are Mr. Mrs. Spreadsheet guy, gal right now. Guess what? Go use some of the $20 a month stuff that's out there in AI to at least do analysis. Ask it to show you what you're not seeing. You talk to it just like a human, And you'd be amazed at what that extra person on the team, Mr. ChatGPT4, can do for you in identifying things that have been blind to you that you're just too close to it and you're not seeing it. And it's going to tell you 80% of what you already know. Okay. But there's going to be some 20% in there. that even if it's an incremental improvement gang, why, why are you tripping over, you know, 20 bucks to go pick up that, that improvement? So hear what Chris, Chris shared there. I just want to make sure you don't skip past saying, well, maybe next year I'll get to that. Well, maybe like if you're in ops in the warehouse, you owe it to yourself. That's, that's cash. That's uh-huh. unusable. We could collect some old classic books. I'll always give book recommendations. It's probably a good time for one. I'm going to have an old book recommendation for the topic she's talking about. If you need help understanding why having less inventory is more cash for the company, uh, the book, The Goal, okay? Gold Rats, famous novel, okay? It's a wonderful novel of about yeah. inventory versus work in progress and efficiencies in a business. You need a great audio book of turning around your company and you're on the upside of optimizing your business. Make sure you listen to Gold Rats the goal. Okay. Fantastic novel. It's a funny story, well, funny and sad story, but, and, but encouraging in the end of what you'll understand. And it's a book you can grab. Up from today, that's 30 or 30 plus years old and is still very relevant to our world today. Right.
1: I think what's cool about the using the inventory too is that it's a very controlled set of a very controlled project. It's a yes. small footprint, or not small footprint, but it's a specific domain type. Ecosystem.
0: Project. It's one ecosystem. Yeah, ecosystem. That's yeah.
1: a great one. Thank yeah. you. So if you can build out your AI against the, this inventory, That'll stimulate the thinking about where you can use AI elsewhere in the business. So it's not like you're just investing the time and energy in learning AI for one specific purpose. But those lessons learned about your data, about the inventory, about AI through that process really will extend into the organization. Then you can choose your next project and your next and your next. So I think it's a great stepping stone.
0: That's, that's a really It's a really good point. Yeah. How is it going to now affect your HR processes? And how is it going to affect your yeah. customer service yeah. numbers and call times? And how is it going to affect FAQ section you created on your website? And all the others that once you do this work should be there. Right. And that's an important note too, before we go ahead on shared learnings, like this shouldn't be learned in a silo gang. Um, if you have a structure of an operations lead who's the implementer across your business of different disciplines and functions, whether it's someone who leads over, you know, it's not your CEO who's doing this development, or you, you want that higher level seat person in your organization to know and understand how to lead other divisions of your company to implement the same learning. So whether your organization starts with learning this in the sales team because they're doing the predictive suggestions with marketing that we talked about, or whether it was your your customer experience team learned it with with a recommendations engine, or whether it was the, you know, the inventory app shipping team that learned it over here. Make sure that whichever division you choose as your one thing to go first, make sure that the people above them in the organization are gleaning the learnings and the knowledge so that this stuff can be shared. You don't have to relearn it amongst each division, but you can apply a framework. That's we we really work hard on saying what's the framework when we're on these calls. Because we want to give you a tool uh, in your own organization that you can apply across the channels of your business. And so this is one of those not to just have siloed learning amongst your organization as a mandate, but to get involved if you're at the higher level, like Chris's role as she's transforming uh, the company she's in today. You know, she is involved way above each of the disciplines of the business so that she can bring shared learnings across the enterprise and uh, in her work at Princess House. And uh, you want to you want to do the same thing um, in your organization as you're listening today. So don't don't you
1: also want to prepare yeah. your board as well. If you have a <laughs> board, you also yep. want to. So have a strategy presentation around AI and all the disciplines underneath the domains underneath. Craft it in a way that you can make it into a board presentation because that's important as well.
2: Yes, definitely. As you move along, we understand we are in a world that worship data. A question for the Chris is. What KPIs have you found mm. to be the most important for decision
0: making in our AI-driven world? Oh, I love that question. A lot of people don't even know what to look for. And that's such a good one.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is that is a good question. Of course, I'm not going to answer it directly. I've got a sort of a subterfuge type of answer for it. <laughs> uh, everybody knows the KPIs, you know, the standard one, your sales, your recruiting, your activity rate, your average order size. You know, everybody's pretty familiar with those, and I don't think. I don't think those are going to be the ones that people are interested in as much, but there's a whole world of of next level, more granular KPIs that I think people need to start looking at things that have a big effect on the business or have a big effect on the KPIs above them, like say, you know, the big bucket ones. So I think, you know, one of the things that we've been really focused on, and I've made some suggestions to, to other companies as well, is to look at life cycle type of KPIs. Hmm. What is the life cycle of recruiting? What is the life cycle of new consultant onboarding? What's the life cycle of consultant lifetime? And looking at and using AI to to identify the patterns in those experiences, those lifetime experiences. Do we have the right levels for the commission's plan? Is there a gap? Is there a, a title that takes too long to achieve where we're getting fallout? Mm-hmm. So you kind of look at, some people call it a funnel. Yeah, I guess that's, that might be a better description for some. So a funnel or a, or a life cycle yeah. or journey. A journey yeah. is a good description. Yeah. But look at the metrics at every step of the way. Use AI to look at the patterns and try and identify patterns in that data for you. And I think using this concept of exploratory data analysis or EDA, that's really about looking at those journeys and saying, I don't know what I'm looking for yet, but I'm going to go in and I'm going to pull different data sets out of this journey. And something will come to you. You'll look at one of these numbers and say, that is not what I expected. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's where you're going to target your attention Mm -hmm. is something is falling apart. What is it and how do I stop it? You -hmm. you know, so, so it's really about using some tools to get at the next level of KPI underneath the big, (laughs)
0: I love how you laid that out, Chris. I'll I'll share an example from a client in Europe that I thought was really good that I think people understand practically what that means is you think about the current ways you run your business with the way you, like I call this feedback loops. This is a good example of, Like many times when you want to make a decision about what to do better, your distributor training or the content you're giving people to share, just like Chris is talking about, many times your only feedback loop, if you're using older technology, is talking to top field leaders and asking them what they think is working or what's not working. And that's a a really poor feedback loop. If you're still in that world gang, that's not real data. That's their assumptions. Their own agendas are slipped in there. Their their own desires. Uh, They're not... The ones on the front line many times actually doing sales where their people are, so they don't actually know what those interactions are. And traditionally, the levers have been interviewing top field reps and then Saturday trainings or weekly trainings of here's the new thing to do to try and pull a lever and move your field's behavior. And that that lever is hard because you you move into a place where you have to just, you know, usually on a 90-day cycle, like, okay, we're here and only four times a year, do you ever get to adjust what's going on in the field and optimize now, your competitors, if you're still in that world, right, uh, many of them are on a monthly cycle or a two-week cycle. And the way they're achieving that is they're not changing behaviors. The systems and the stuff that we talked about, some of the different predictive platforms Chris mentioned for prospecting and following up with clients in the past. We were seeing clients in that space use KPIs like casualty counts. And I love casualty counts. It sounds like a really weird thing. Well, what the heck's a casualty count? In those predictive systems, they actually track what text messages people are sending, which ones are working, which ones aren't. And they'll track casualties. So in a lot of these smarter systems, when you're creating a structured conversation, someone's supposed to follow in a predictive platform, it'll show you which messages the field was willing to send, which ones they sent that worked, and which ones they sent where the conversation just ended and the person didn't move forward. And I love this because many times, We all have egos, right? And your sales team has an ego and your VP of field development has an ego. And they all think from their interviews with the field reps, what we should be coaching people to say. And then we get out there and 60% of it might be true, but then we learn quickly. This is what the feedback loop teaches us, right? By looking at this data, by using predictive platforms, we learn quickly which things we were wrong about as a corporate team. It brings accountability back to us. And that's why I hope you're here today. There's a lot of fruit of where You're not just up to the whims of the field, okay? This type of technology these tools, it brings the accountability back to you to be the one to make decisions about how to make your own business better. And if you do it right in certain systems, it's not always a new behavior that's getting taught at the super Saturdays or the weekly trainings or whatever your company's doing. It can be just that the systems themselves are smarter, that they're just giving better suggestions if you're doing the work behind the scenes well. That's just something to unpack here, gang, is that your life doesn't have to stay the way It has been because of a lot of this technology today. You could operate in a totally different framework if you put to work many of the pieces Chris shared with us today. And this was just such an awesome session. Like, Chris, I can't thank you enough for bringing your wisdom here to this call. And and Omar, thank you so much for, for coming on to host today and kick off the next season with us. You know, more than anything, gang, we hope you do something with this information. If you are not a member yet of the DSEF and you're missing out on all of the snippets and the documents and the studies and everything else on LinkedIn, you owe it to yourself. Go join the group. We'll make sure we put a link in the show notes if you're watching from YouTube or Spotify today. If you want to follow Chris's awesome work, at her on LinkedIn and watch the company Princess House. They were smart enough to hire Chris Adams. So good things are coming in their future. So we all we all know that because, hey, Chris is on board now. So, so we all wish the best for Princess House and their digital transformation. It's not easy. Um, none of this stuff is easy, okay? As a follow-up to today's episode, if you want to dig deeper on this, I encourage you, go watch uh, last season, Cheryl Forbes' digital transformation. She talks about how you got to be able to slay some sacred cows and digital transformation. And you got to have everyone on the same page with why you're doing this. These initiatives don't work if you're still infighting. Okay, so like there's just stuff that you got to hear. And so there we could go for three hours if we started unpacking the whole human emotional part of making change in a company. i have already recorded some of that. If you finish Cheryl's episode, the last one I'll say is go get Brent Duncan's episode on frameworks for content creation. A lot of this AI stuff will lead you to optimization. And you're going to ask, how do we optimize? What's frameworks we do for optimizing? Brett from his team, his strategic choice partners did a great job of unpacking a framework for how you can meet monthly and properly plan and communicate to each other and have a disciplined approach to optimization. And so we've those are the two extra episodes I would I would task you with if you've loved uh what we covered today. With that, Chris, it was just such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Omar, thank you for hosting.
1: Thank you. I appreciate
0: right. it. We appreciate it. Have a blessed day, buddy. We'll see you soon. Bye for now.